When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called of yonder I'll be there. When the roll is called of yonder, 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 I'll be Bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies. All right, greet somebody around you. We're going to join together on that third verse. Let us labor for the Master. Let us labor for the Master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all His wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there.
know, there's nothing quite like being part of a church family. As you think about our church, and uh, it's one of my favorite pictures of our church that we took, uh, I guess maybe two homecomings ago, that we recreated an old black and white photograph, and uh, we took the time to just kind of get a snapshot to remember in the days to come. But there's nothing quite like being a part of a church family. And I don't mean occasionally coming, uh, slipping in and out. I mean really being a part of a church family, doing life together, laughing together, crying together, serving together, praying together, ministering to other people in the church family, having other church family minister to you. You know, the church was God's idea. Uh, He knew we needed support. He knew we needed fellowship of the brothers and sisters in Christ in order to thrive in our lives. And I've been blessed in my own life to have people that have poured into my life to encourage me and inform me and correct me and train me and teach me. And uh, I I don't know everyone's story here today. Uh, You may have been in church all of your life or this may be fairly new to you. But wherever you are and whoever you are, I want to encourage you to jump in with both feet. I know it may be awkward at first, but if you'll just go ahead and commit and just jump in, it gets a lot easier, kind of like when you jump in the pool for the first time. And uh, I jumped in a pool just to, this past week, I guess it was, and just had to finally commit and jump in. And uh, once you're there, you just go in and it's a lot better. And, and that's kind of the way it is sometimes. You need the encouragement and the support of other believers. Uh, and, and not just in this setting, not just in the 11 o'clock service. You need to be a part of a small group. You need to be a part of a Sunday school class where you're in a smaller group of people, where you can bear one another's burdens and encourage each other and you can share some things and mutually support each other and, and maybe talk about some things that are going on in your life that you can't mention here and you can't write down the card, but you can maybe have a group of people in your class or a few people from your class that you can confide in and pray with and help each other. And um, i got to warn you, though, Uh, If you're here and maybe you're new, this church is not perfect. Far from it. Um, We don't always get it right in everything. Uh, We fail. We sin. We mess up. We make mistakes. We go wrong directions. We struggle. Uh, We scratch our heads sometimes. Um, we, We don't know exactly what direction to take at times. And we don't always get it right. And so if that sounds like you, that it sounds like your life, then you'll fit right in here because that's who we are. Uh, that's what we deal with. Uh, some of you have been coming for years maybe or coming for months or whatever and you've never officially become a part of the church and maybe God is leading you to do that. I want to encourage you to follow His direction to make that commitment. And you say, well, preacher, why all this talk about the church and relationships and all that? Well, because Peter brings it up here in the passage we're about to study of how we're to treat each other as members of the body of Christ. Now, you remember he's been addressing different groups of people. Uh, He's talked to citizens of the government, uh, which applies to all of us. He's talked to slaves, as we would understand employees, and how we're supposed to relate uh, to those in authority over us. He took time to talk to the husbands, and we took time to talk to the husbands. And he took time to talk to the wives, and we took time to talk to the wives. And today we find he's talking to all of you. And so maybe if you felt left out in any of those... Uh, Today is especially for you. Now, you know, believers are different, right? You understand that. Christ has changed us. Uh, We're no longer the same. The Bible says if any man, any person be in Christ, uh, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so believers are different. 
And the world tells us some things that are not true for the believer. The world will tell us to look out for number one. The world tells us that if someone hits you, hit them back harder. The world tells us that the good life is all about what you want. That's the good life. But when you come to this passage of Scripture we're about to study today, we're going to find the exact opposite thing is actually true for the believer. And so if you're in your Bible, I hope you're there by now. First Peter chapter three, verses eight through twelve. And it says, finally, now I know you get excited when you hear that word in church, right? Finally, but don't leave yet. He's not done summing up his letter, but he's done summing up this section of his letter. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, it's obvious he's talking to believers because he encourages brotherly love there in verse 8. And then he lays out five ways that we're supposed to uh, treat each other, how we're supposed to treat each other as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let's look at those real quickly. He shows how we're supposed to live, if you will, even within the church, within the body of Christ. First of all, he tells us we're to live in harmony. We're to live in harmony. It says be of one mind. It means to be like-minded. Christians are to live in harmony. This is not uniformity. It's unity. Uniformity means we all look alike, dress alike, sound alike, do everything alike. It's not uniformity. The body of Christ is a beautiful thing. There's such diversity within the body of Christ, but there's unity within that diversity because we've been made one in Jesus Christ. And we may not agree on everything. And by the way, that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. But I love the old saying because it's so true. In fundamentals, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In everything, love. So what does that mean? Well, fundamentals means the fundamental doctrines, the truths that we all must hold as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to be unified in those. But then there are those non-essentials, those things that are not basic, maybe doctrines of the faith and so forth, but might just be things that you think one way and I think another. And there is liberty there. But that third part is so important. In everything, love. We may look different, dress different, sound different, think differently on many things, but we're, we're united in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful thing about the church. The church brings together a group of people who maybe no other reason would get together. We're together today. Why? Because we've been made one in Christ. Harmony is a beautiful thing in music. But harmony, you know, is singing different parts. They're harmonizing together. And it's a beautiful thing in the church as well. And so we're to live with harmony, but we're also to live with sympathy. Did you notice it says there that we're to have compassion? That means to feel with. When you're close to someone, beloved, you feel it when they suffer. You suffer. Um, You suffer right along with them. 
One of the verses that I keep in mind as a minister of the gospel is Romans chapter 12, verse 15. And it's kind of a summary of my life in many regards. If you remember Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says simply this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this is one of the great challenges of being a part of a church family. It's one of the great challenges of being a pastor. You know, when someone in our midst gets diagnosed with a terrible illness or sickness or cancer, or some family in our church, they lose a loved one, or some other tragedy strikes the family within our church family, it impacts all of us. And we're not just praying for some distant person that we barely know or some name on a list. We're praying for our brother or sister in Christ whom we deeply love. And as they're hurting, we're hurting right along with them. And as they're weeping, we're weeping with them. And we're suffering along. That's what it means to have compassion, to live with sympathy, to feel with. And by the way, it's one of the difficult things about being a body in the body of Christ. Because those things impact so many of us. And we hurt along together. But on the flip side, the, the verse says what? We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so when those happy times come, we get to experience those things together. And so we all rejoice when a baby is born. And we love that. Uh, we all applaud when a child graduates from high school or college or, or when they get married. We all pat you on the back when your retirement comes around. We're happy for you and we're delighted for you because we're all in this family together. It's a very special relationship. In fact, this Maybe one of the most special relationships we ever experience in life. It's doing life together. It's entering into each other's worlds. It's letting other people minister to you and it's you ministering to other people. And so we live with harmony. We live with sympathy. But then this kind of ties to the next one. We're to live with love. Did you notice it talks about there that we're to love as brothers and of course sisters is implied. We're to love one another. Now, remember, when it comes to Bible love, it's primarily, most of the time, a decision of the will. We choose to love. Emotions are usually involved, but they may not at all times. Sometimes they come along later. But we choose to love. Let's just be honest about it. Some people are easier to love than others, aren't they? Don't look around. But some people are easier to love than others. But, you know, we don't get to pick our earthly family. None of us got opportunities way back before we were born that we got to go in and say, okay, well, here's some options here. Which one do you like? None of us got to pick our earthly family. And furthermore, none of us really get to pick our spiritual family. Now, I know you get to choose which church you join, but you don't get to choose who joins that church. You might get one vote. But just like... Uh, uh, crazy Aunt Mabel and Uncle Bob show up at your yearly family reunion and you, they're in your family and you've got to deal with them. There are people who show up here and they may challenge you. And you may have a hard time loving them. But you know what? That's good. Because God uses all sorts of ways to mature us and to mold us and to shape us. To be more like Jesus. And it could just be he's using crazy Aunt Mabel and Uncle Bob to really work in your life. To help you to be more loving or whatever. And so we're to live with love. It's a choice. Some people are easier to love. Some are more difficult to love. But we're to live with love. And then we're to live, it says, with a tender heart. A tender heart. Be tender hearted. It means to have a sensitive heart. In other words, not hard hearted. Not callous. 
not bitter, but being tender-hearted. It's noticing the needs and the feelings and the emotions of other people. Uh, jot this reference down. You probably know it. Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Being tender-hearted. I recently read a story, maybe you saw it in the news or you saw it online about a dad who was going, I assume, to a college or university and uh, he was unable to secure child care. So he had his baby with him. He took his baby to college and he got to class. And you can imagine, you know, a lot of professors would frown upon you bringing your child to class, your baby to class. But the interesting thing about it was this professor was tender-hearted. And you know what this professor did? This professor, he took the baby and held the baby while he did his, while he did his lecture so that the dad could take his notes and do well in the class. I mean, that, that's an example of being tender-hearted, of being sensitive, of being kind, of being um, uh, noticing people's feelings and emotions. And so I ask you today, how's your heart today? Are you tender-hearted today? Or have you been hardening your heart? Is your heart calloused? Is it cold? Is it just barren? Could it be that God needs to touch your heart today and break your heart and take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh? We need to live with a tender heart. And believe me, I understand there's a lot of things that would drive us to be hard-hearted, but God help us to keep a tender heart toward others. We're to live with a tender heart. And then we're to live with courtesy. Be courteous. It's what the Scripture says there. It's the idea of humility. Now, that's leaving our world for sure. Courtesy has left our world. How sad, though, if it leaves the church. We should express humility in our dealings with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It means putting other people first. It means being kind and considering others. Uh, being courteous. I like what McDonald said about it. He said, courtesy serves others before self. It jumps at opportunities to assist. It expresses prompt appreciation for kindnesses received. It's never coarse. It's never vulgar. It's never rude. Simply being courteous to other people. You say, well, is that Bible? Well, you just read it, didn't you? Be courteous. Now, all of these things are wonderful. Be courteous and be tenderhearted and live in harmony and all these things. But when you read this list, do you happen to think about a set of verses? Maybe I did. I thought about Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Now, he just gave us five ways we're to relate to each other, but I want you to notice what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. You see, these character traits that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, are not worked up in the flesh. They're worked out by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit who indwells us begins to work in us and move in us and, and help us to grow, He brings about these types of traits, this fruit in our life. And so the world says, look out for number one. And God comes along and His Word says, no, look out for others. Uh, the world says, if someone hits you, hit them back. 
and hit them harder. The Bible says, notice verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, some of these blows are not necessarily physical, but verbal. And verse 9 seems to apply to those inside the church and outside the church. You know, um, I said a moment ago we're not perfect. And did you know, now this may surprise you, did you know that Christians in a church can disagree? Did y'all know that? They can disagree. They might even vote differently in a meeting. In fact, sometimes business meetings, and we don't have it much here, praise the Lord, but you ever been to a business meeting? A business meeting in a Baptist church can get very interesting. And so there could be disagreements. There could be disagreements in the church. And that's fine. Why? Because we have great diversity, but we're unified in Christ. But listen, we should all agree to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Let me say that again. We should all agree to disagree without becoming disagreeable. In other words, there's times we can disagree. We might say, well, let's put new carpet in the church. What color is this carpet? Plum. It's purple, but it's plum. I always have to get that right. So, we want to put new carpet. We're not doing this, by the way. All right? Just so you know. Well, let's say we put new carpet in the church. And some say, well, I want to go back with the plum. Others say, no. Y'all used to have blue, didn't you? Let's go back to blue. Or let's go to red. Or let's go where. And listen, we can disagree on that. We don't have to be disagreeable. Right? And there might be a time in, in your relationships personally, you might disagree. But you would be kind and courteous, the Bible says. Consider others better than yourselves. But even if things do go south and you get verbally attacked, I mean, they're heated. You want blue, they want plum. We're going to have plum! Okay? What should our response be? Well, it says here, it should be one of blessing and not retaliation. In fact, and it's interesting, the next part of the passage we just read, we might outline it this way. It deals with what you say, what you do, and who you know. Now, I should tell you that verses 10 through 12 that we're about to study is actually taken from the Old Testament. It's actually taken from Psalm chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. In fact, if you go back and read Psalm 34, 12 through 16, you'll find that's exactly what it's talking about. And he says here, he's talking about loving life and seeing good days. And by the way, again, that looks a lot different for a believer than it does an unbeliever. So let's talk about that for a moment. What do you do? So you find yourself in a disagreement. You find yourself in a, a situation where maybe you're being verbally attacked or whatever. What do you do? Well, here's what you have to remember. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Look at verse 9. Don't return reviling for reviling. Look at verse 9. Bless those who are hurting you. Look at verse 10. Refrain your tongue from speaking evil. Look at verse 10 again. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Our mouths can get us in a heap of trouble, can't they? I mean, they can get us in a heap of trouble. And he's telling us here, be careful what you say. We do well to memorize this verse. 
You want to memorize the verse? Here's a great verse to memorize. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a great verse. And by the way, it's a great verse to have memorized because there's going to be times where you're going to be reviled and you want to revile back. They tell you, oh, I'm going to tell them back. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You can't afford it. Don't do it. <laughs> Set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. And you see, we can't tame the tongue. James tells us that. But God can tame it. We need to recognize the power of our mouths, the power of our speech. And today that means spoken, written, typed, tweeted, posted, recorded, Snapchatted, whatever. The power of our words. Chuck Swindoll told a story about just what a weapon the tongue really is. He said a young husband left the house on a beautiful summer afternoon and he got back to the house and he discovered the house was swarming with police cars. Tragically, beloved, it seems that his wife had taken her own life and the life of their sons in a moment of despair. And they found this family literally dangling from ropes in the basement. Apparently, a rumor had been instigated by a neighbor. And the rumor was that the husband had been unfaithful to his wife. And this precious wife believed it. And it was more than she could take. And in a moment of despair to escape the pain, she removed herself and her two sons from actually living any longer. And the really tragic thing about it was the rumor was not true. But the damage was done. Trying to stop a rumor, he said, is like trying to unring a bell. With the tongue, we can bless or we can curse. And it's interesting that God tells us here that we're to bless those who are harming us. Bless those who are hurting us. Now listen, you're not going to do that in your own strength. At least not for long. You're going to have to help the help of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in order to do that. You say, what does that mean? Well, just real quickly, John MacArthur helps us. He says, here's what it means. The blessing that a Christian is to give to the, revil to the reviler includes finding ways to serve him, praying for his salvation, praying for his spiritual progress, expressing thankfulness for him, speaking well of him, and desiring his well-being. Now listen, you're not going to do that in your own strength. You're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. Be careful what you say. Then secondly, be careful what you do. <coughs> kind of reminds me of the old song we used to sing, doesn't it? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little mouth what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful what you do. Look at verse 9. Don't return evil for evil. They smack you, you smack them back. Look at verse 11. Turn away from evil. Look at verse 11 again. Do good. Look at verse 11 again. I love this part. Seek and pursue peace. God has not called us to a life of revenge. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay thus saith the Lord. God has called us to a life of humbly trusting Him to care for us. We're to do good. The Bible says that God has arranged good works that He has for us to do. And they are good. 
I love the picture there where it says that you're to be seeking or pursuing peace. It's the idea of literally chasing after peace, running after peace. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now listen, this is not, listen carefully, this is not just keeping the peace at all costs. There are times when we should disrupt the peace when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. We cannot compromise that. And if someone were to come along preaching another gospel, which is not the gospel, we can't just say, well, I'm just not going to stay and keep the peace. No, you better disturb the peace at that time. Because there's unfaithfulness going on. And so there are times we must stand for the truth. But listen, we are to seek peace. This is being a peacemaker. Longing for peace. Chasing after peace. Running after peace. Now some people, you know, they almost live to disturb the peace. You know anybody like that? Again, don't look around. But like they live just to disturb the peace. They, they live for the drama. They love to keep something stirred up all the time. I don't understand that. I have no desire to be a part of that. But there are those who live there. But as believers, we should not be like that. Again, I think of a couple of verses that says this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you do. Now, finally, remember who you know. I love the last verse we read this morning. Verse 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want a sermon outline or a preaching or teaching outline on that? I would simply describe that verse this way. The Lord is watching us. The Lord is listening to us. And the Lord is protecting us. He's watching us, listening to us, and protecting us. What a comfort when we're being mistreated. Because he's talking about those who are reviling them, doing evil to them. They're facing hardship, and yet they're called not to retaliate, not to give revenge, but instead to take it and trust the Lord and to bless the one who's actually hurting them. And what a comfort to know in the midst of that kind of life to know that the Lord is watching us the whole time we're being mistreated. And not only that, the Lord is listening to us the whole time. What a blessing that verse is. It reminds me of another verse that has really blessed me in recent days. And I want to share it with you. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the first part. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. What a comfort to know today that no matter what we're facing, the Lord, He has His eyes on you. Just as you might... Have your eyes upon your child or your grandchild. If they're hurting, if they're sick, if they're in trouble, or even if things are going well in their life, you have your eyes upon them. Why? Because you love them and you're watching them. And then not only are you watching them, according to our passage today, you're listening to them. And you do all you can to protect them. And the same is true in our life, beloved. 
the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You see, this passage talked about the way to love life and enjoy good days. That's what it said there, talked about there in the passage. And to really love life and to see good days is to live the Christian life. Rather than looking out for ourselves, we look out for others. Rather than hitting back, we turn the other cheek, God helping us. And rather than making it all about us and what we want, we make it all about the Lord, all about Jesus, all about Him, the one who is looking at us and listening to us, protecting us and holding us in His loving hand. Beloved, that's the way to love life and enjoy good days. Let's bow together. Your head is bowed, your eyes are closed. Do you know this one I've been talking about today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, come today trusting Christ and Christ alone. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will give you a home in heaven and make you a child of God. And then for those that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, this passage has been primarily to us and about us and about each other. What is God saying to you today? Do these character traits describe you? Do these instructions describe your life? Maybe today you need to come and get some things right with Him. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in Your presence. We thank You for this study so far in the book of 1 Peter. And You've spoken to us on many, many fronts. And we give You glory for that. And I pray today Your Holy Spirit would work and move in this invitation and have His will accomplished in this place. And we'll give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The closing hymn is 346. We talked about the church today. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ for Lord. And the altar is open. If you need to be saved today. We'd love to help you with that. If you need to come and pray on your own, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you'd like me to pray with you or someone else to pray with you, we'd love to help you with that. But the altar is open. I hope the invitation's clear. 346. Let's stand and sing the church's one foundation.